You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Very often with this Null and Void sports podcast, we have a habit of starting at the very beginning. Episode 89 is no different, except that beginning is full of great sports stories from nine different sports, including skateboarding. More of that later. Hardly got time to tell you, my name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. So Andy, with the Super Bowl being Sunday night, I'm sure Null and Void listeners will want to know what time you actually got to bed on Monday morning. Uh, I don't want to talk about it, but if, if, if I have to admit it, it was about 4.45 Monday morning and then up at uh, just before 8 to start work. Uh, I was fueled by exceedingly strong coffee. I have some coffee that, uh, when ground, is about the equivalent a cup. The is about the equivalent caffeine of three well-known brand of a caffeinated energy drink. So, uh, yeah, I got through a couple of cups of that on Monday to keep me going until the end of the workday. Now we'll talk about the game a little later on in some detail. But did you have time for anything else? Obviously, rugby as well. Yes, Six Nations um, was fantastic. Watching a bit of the football as well, uh, both men's and women's. And then really, in between all of that, watching the uh, T20 Women's Cricket World Cup in South Africa and some great games there. I'm, we'll we'll cover all, all of those sports later. But yeah, basically a, a full feast of sports. Yeah, it was my final weekend, as for you as well, of the six-week Doddy Aid campaign. So just putting some extra miles in there. Also watching uh, some of the rugby and some live football. And um, additionally, and it was fantastic, the course, uh, there watching the golf in America. That was, mm-hmm. that was good. Saw the latter part of that. Now, let's start there for at the beginning, as I was saying before. NFL, how did your bet go? Uh, <laughs> um, it came in, which I, I know there will be listeners who are falling off their chairs at this moment. That We've got to remember, go back. I backed the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl back in November, end of November, start of December, when it was still during the regular season. So they'd not, I mean, they were, they were clearly dominant in their division in the regular season. But they hadn't even made the playoffs or anything like that. And we all know that playoff games and finals can throw up different twists. Actually, on Sunday morning, I looked at the odds and the Eagles were the bookies' favourites. Billy uh, Carr and I were also chatting about it. And he was the prophet of doom and gloom that um, the league's MVP, most valuable player, had never won the Super Bowl since 1999. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Chiefs, was the MVP this year. But what a game. Absolutely fitting for a Super Bowl final and and a great finale to the season. The Chiefs came back from 27-21 down at the start of the final quarter to win 38-35 in the final seconds of the game. And that, that... Final quarter was absolutely dominated by Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes played brilliantly. Both quarterbacks played brilliantly through the game. 
But Mahomes was a, a bit like Lee was saying last week, some of the passes and some of the things that guy does on the field. There was a point where there were almost two of the large defenders on his back and he still got a 30-yard pass away. I mean, you know, the guy is absolutely phenomenal. He was limping really badly at half time as they went off. I think he was glad that it was an extended half time for the Rihanna show, which actually I really enjoyed. Uh, uh, I was going to ask you about that. It was all right, was it? It was very, very good. I think it's the best one since Lady Gaga back in 2015, 2016. I enjoyed it. So uh, it was a bit like having your iPod on shuffle, though, because she was just doing the start of three or four songs and only a couple of them were extended. But they had these platforms being raised up into the sky. I mean, you know, certainly if you were uh, not a fan of heights, then you wouldn't have wanted to be going up on one of these glass platforms. She didn't seem to be attached to anything on it either. So, uh yeah, and it didn't look like a big safety net underneath. And then her uh, management team have just announced that she's pregnant, which a lot of people were um, sort of speculating at. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily wanted to be going up there with my uh, unborn child, carrying an unborn child on these uh, big glass platforms being raised up into the sky. But a really good spectacle. But, yeah, at that point, Mahomes um, had seemed to re-injure the ankle that Lee flagged up was an injury concern. And he was limping really badly. And at that point, I was saying, this is this is game over. You know, they, they were seven points down at that point. And, and yet that final quarter, he seemed to be moving on it. He made the run, a 28-yard run, that set up the field position for them to uh, win the game. And it seemed to be, although it was an excellent finish and really exciting and tense, at 35 all, it seemed a bit counterintuitive that there they were down in the right near the Eagles' um, goal zone to, to score a touchdown. And actually, the guy had a – one of the uh, Chiefs guys had a walk-in for a touchdown, and yet he ran out of play. It would be a little bit, little bit like in rugby, having the try line open in front of you and running off into touch or in football, having mm. the ball empty in front of you and kicking it off, the mm. sides, which I know Jeff Thomas managed for Crystal Palace, but unintentionally go. <laughs> <laughs> But so what it, what they were doing was ma- managing the clock. So I kind of understood the tactics because they would have to kick it back to the Eagles, who would then still have two minutes to get up the field and potentially score the winning points. So it just seemed very weird that there's the touchdown line or the scoring line, whatever it's called, open in front of you and you're not taking it. And the, the, the Eagles were almost like waving him through to say, come on, come and get a touchdown. Um and he, he ran off into touch instead, out of bounds, mm. so that they could run the clock down. And then with eight seconds left, they set up uh, Harrison Butker to kick the winning field goal. And that was that was the game over. So I kind of got it, and I understood what they were doing tactically. You're looking at going, you're just running out when you've got an open scoring mm. opportunity in front mm. of you. So seemed a bit weird. But, you know, had it been here in the UK, we'd have been um, probably – having investigations into spot betting and things like that. But apart from that, absolutely amazing finale and and a real game where both teams, the attack, stood up fantastically. So, uh, yeah, um, absolute great finish to the season. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, MVP, wins the Super Bowl uh, for, I think that's the second time in three years that the Chiefs, or second time in four years that the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, they're, they're really well-deserved. And, uh, yeah, I took some uh, took some shekels off the bookmakers as well. 
Good man. I mean, that's we like first on null and void. There's another one. Yeah, winning a bet. Um, well, there's another first in there as well. With um, we've talked about all my disappointments over the nearly two years we've been doing this in ballot for London Marathon and yeah, 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 sporting events. Well, not only did I get an email confirming how much Mister Hill had paid me yesterday morning, I also got an email confirming that I'd been successful in the ballot to get a slot that starts tomorrow morning and is available till Friday to book my tickets for the Paris Olympics next year. Blimey. Blimey. I'd, I'd get a lottery ticket if I were you. Make it... <laughs> no, I ran out yesterday with a call at work, and uh, as I said at the time, um, meatloaf, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, what also wasn't bad was the rugby Six Nations at weekend. What's, what's your sort of take on that <laughs> um again if we're talking about the nfl being great game uh the super bowl then uh two absolutely cracking games on saturday uh we'll come to sunday's game in a moment that wasn't as much of a spectacle but Ireland france you've got first against second in the world playing against each other Ireland absolutely dominated coming out 32 19 winners in terms of on the scoreboard but I don't think, you know, one of those games where the scoreboard isn't reflective, yeah. the game actually went. The game was a lot closer and tighter than the scoreboard showed. But Ireland uh, attacked, both sides attacked well. Defence was great. Ireland's defence was superb. I've seen a stat somewhere that they limited France to seven minutes in the Irish uh, 22 or something, which is, you know, nothing at all um, in terms of game time overall. Um and, you know, France were the Grand Slam champions last year. Everyone talks about their attacking play and they scored a try from that started in their own 22. But Ireland came back and, and ran the ball just as well. Three of their tries were running tries and only one was a, a forward burrowing over using the power. So great game. I mean, you know, the, the Ireland tries from Hugo Keenan uh, and Gary Ringrose um, were great tries. The James Lowe one controversial i'm going to pin my colors to the mast and say i think his foot was in touch i also believe that it's ironic i'm not going to say any more than that but ironic that the host broadcasters were an irish tv company and they only found the angle that showed his foot in touch well after the score had been given confirmed. <laughs> so uh I think it's something I it's is a growing concern of mine. I think that the IRB needs world rugby, sorry, as they now are, need to do something about this because you are starting to see, you know, way back when you and I will remember when games were refereed by home refs mm. that the home union provider ref and they did away with that because there were instances of bias. I think we're starting to see the same thing creep in with the television replays. The angles could be, and I'm not saying they are, but there is the risk that angles could be held back or be believed and perceived to be held back when that doesn't go with the host uh, nation. And I think that's a real shame if rugby were to fall into that trap. So I think the IRB need to do something about that and look at it. But I'm not saying in this case... But I personally believe, whilst it was a fantastic athletic finish, his foot touched the ground um, before he got the ball down. So he was he was out and in touch. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Ireland 
were absolutely brilliant in their play um, and a really enjoyable, fantastic game to watch. And then we went on to Scotland-Wales. Um, all the talk in the week was whether Scotland could back up their opening win against England in week one. And often over the years, the last few years, Scotland have seemed to have the wood on England, but then that seems to be it. It's like we've beaten England, we've had a good year, um, which for many Scots and Scots fans might well be the case. But if they want to be serious contenders on the world stage, need to kick on. Well, they did that against Wales. I mean, it was it was close. It was an emotional start to the day as the Doddy Aid 555 cycling team arrived with the match ball. They'd covered the 555 miles from... Uh, the Principality Stadium in Cardiff up to Murrayfield with the match ball. And they've done that in just over 48 hours. So they were, uh, I think Rob Wainwright was the leader of that merry band. And uh, he looked pretty broken by the time he got to Murrayfield. <laughs> I think he was running on pure adrenaline by that stage. But again, tight game. At halftime, Scotland only went in 13-7 up. Um, but then the Finn Russell magic some of the if we were talking about Mahomes playing the ball yeah. as the quarterback, Finn Russell played as Scotland's quarterback on Saturday and out of the back door passes, little flicks, all, all the tricks came out and Scotland ran away 35-7 winners and then brilliantly, fittingly, were presented the Doddy Weir Cup by Doddy Weir's um, wife, Cathy, at the end. So I think that was a really nice and emotional and fitting tribute. So they'll go to Paris in two weeks with their tails up, um, looking for um, the first time in, in since 1996, winning three games in a row in the championship and the first back-to-back -back wins in the French capital since 1928. So I think Scotland, I think they could do that, you know. Um, they're looking good. And then England were playing Italy on Sunday and they got their first win of the Steve Borthwick era, beating Italy 31-14. Never really in doubt after they went in 19-0 up at halftime. But I think at that point, um, the disappointment. Steve Borthwick had taken the big call of axing that Farrell-Smith axis in midfield and putting the captain Farrell in at 10 and then playing a big centre off him and Ollie Lawrence, who had a brilliant game. And I think it's put to bed that whole uh, Smith-Farrell combination that Eddie Jones seemed to favour at the end of his era. And I think we'll see either one or t'other now, um, with Farrell being um, preferred at the moment over the young Quinn's Tyro. Um, second half, though, really disappointing. I mean, England were 19-0 up. Um, it brought a great try uh, for the London Irish youngster, uh, Henry Arundel. But apart from that, England were really disappointing. They uh, missed 28 tackles in the second half, 41 overall. So certainly a lot of work for Sir Kev to do on that defensive structure there. And despite dropping Ben Youngs for kicking so much ball away in the Scotland third in the first game, England actually statistically kicked more possession away in the final third this week. Um, now, better kicks, more grubbers and more for the chasers to actually compete for. But still kicking the ball away when you're in that position, you you give the opposition an easy out. And it just, it seems to be a game plan and it's 
hugely frustrating. But a win's a win. And they move on to Cardiff now, where I think both sides are desperate for the win. And to have any chance of competing in the championship, England and Wales have both got to win that game. Only one can. I think it's going to be a really ugly, scrappy, just turgid affair in Cardiff in two weeks' time. I mean, the 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 emotion and the fervour will be great. It always is in, in Cardiff, um, especially when England come to town. But I can't see that being a good game from two sides that are really way behind probably Ireland, France and Scotland at the moment in terms of how they're playing. OK, thank you for that. And, and completing the rugby set, rugby league, back on. Yeah, Super League starts this weekend. It's back um, after, you know, the Great World Cup that I think raised people's awareness. And we actually saw Rugby League on terrestrial telly for the, you know, consistently for the first time in ages, rather than the odd Challenge Cup game here or there. Starts this weekend with a cracking curtain raiser with um, Warrington against Leeds. And I think that's going to be an absolute belter. Meanwhile, the 2022 champions, don't uh, St. Helens, don't start their Super no. campaign this weekend because they're over in Sydney playing in the World Club Challenge against the NRL, the Australian Rugby League uh, reigning champions, um, the Penrith Panthers. So they're playing in that in a game that is always well for it. So it has that state of origin type feel to it, you know, north against south. And I've got to say, the Australia at the moment, Australian Rugby League is ahead of our game in terms of the pace, the dynamism, the physicality. So Saints are a good side, a very good side. You know, they're, they're, this year they're going for their fifth in a row, um, yeah. final and championships. But I can't see them beating Penrith. In terms of how I think the season will go, I think how Saints come through that game and manage then the travel, the any injuries they pick up and everything. You know, coming back from Australia, as you know, you did it um, not that long before Christmas. The jet lag takes a wee while and it takes a lot out of, out of you. That's a it's a long old flight, um, and you didn't have the extra five hours across Australia. You you were you were coming from Perth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think how they manage that will in their first sort of five six weeks, in their first five six games will really have a bearing on how they go this season. I've got to still have Saints as favourites to win the title um, in, in November as so many good players there. You know, they beat Leeds easily in last season's grand final and players like uh, Jack Welby, Johnny Lomax, Mark Percival, they're all top players and they're still there at the top of their game. I'd love to see Leeds Rhinos, my team, uh, doing well. I can't see it this year. I think they'll be doing well to make these sort of latter stages of the playoffs. Two outside bets to watch could be Warrington. Daryl Powell has had a big clean out of personnel over the summer after coming in last year and after they finished 11th last season. So if they get a good start and these new players gel, I think they could be right in the mix come the end of the season. And then another to watch could be Hull, Kingston Rovers. Um, I just love that one. That's always one I remember Eddie Waring doing on the commentary. Oh, Kingston Rovers. <laughs> um, so uh, they've been the nearly men in Super League and the Challenge Cup the last couple of years with semi-final defeats. Um, they've got a new coaching setup of Willie Peters 
and former Leeds man Danny Maguire. And I think that combination could be the alchemy that takes them maybe towards the final step. So at this point, provided they manage how things come out of the World Club Challenge and they don't pick up injuries, manage trouble, I still think you've got to go for St. Helens. But I'd say watch Warrington and Hull Kingston Rovers as two of the ones to watch. But it's going to be an exciting season. I think IMG coming in and doing what they do with their uh, promotional work, the former Mark McCormack company. I think, you know, we could see some big things for Super League. This okay, thanks, mate. Um, I've got football next. Uh, draws in the Premier League for Arsenal and Newcastle again. Manchester City and United got three points. Last night, because uh, we're recording Tuesday, Liverpool won against local rivals Everton, who were under real pressure of being relegated, even with Sean Dyche there. The thing that's going to happen is not what they do against the teams at the top, it's what they do against each other. And there's a whole load of games where those teams at the bottom are playing each other. So it really is one of those, watch this space. It could go in any direction. Real dogfight, yeah. Yeah, interestingly, one of those teams, Southampton, uh, has just sacked their manager and he's gone after 14 games. And amazingly, Jesse Marsh, who's just been fired by Leeds, is in the running to take over. Crazy times, eh? Well, just to give that... The criticism of Jones that he didn't have enough Premier League experience, and that was why Southampton got rid of him. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesse Marsh, what's his Premier League experience like? Less than a year at Leeds, so he's (laughs) gone. Uh, uh, Anyway, um, just to put it in some sort of context, in the Championship today, Neil Warnock, who's managed every team in the world, has just been appointed again uh, uh, manager of Huddersfield, 70-odd years old, uh, Neil Warnock, in the Championship. That is their fourth manager in seven months. Crazy world. Okay, also this week, interestingly, and it's a kind of split week, is for some teams, Champions League and Europa, United away to Barcelona on Thursday. Tonight, PSG play Bayern, and that gets my vote for viewing. Should be a good one in the Champions League. But yeah, United against Barcelona and the Europa League, how the mighty have fallen, eh? Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, 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 Barcelona coming out of the Champions League. Yeah, no, no. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're both still in it. And and it (laughs) would be very interesting to see over two legs whether United can take on a team like Barcelona and beat them. Be a very good test. Very good test. They're in all the all the uh, cups and everything, they're still in United. So there's four four things, including obviously Carabao Cup. Um, tomorrow night in the Premier League, Arsenal play Manchester City, and that should be an absolute cracker. Mm. So a lot at stake in that one. Um, possibly Haaland may be injured and not fit enough to play. In the WSL, which is really hot enough um, at the top, Manchester United won at Spurs to go top, although Ella Toon was sent off in the second half and she'll miss three games. And just at the moment, things are really in the balance. Chelsea are second and City 
with their 2-1 victory over Arsenal, putting them in third place ahead of Arsenal. So that's the top four. Very, very close indeed. Mm. So um, a lot to play for there and some great games on TV to watch. I'd recommend some of those games of high quality. Also high quality is the Netball Super League, which is back. The new season is just underway. Last season's champions, Manchester Thunder, he says, yeah, uh, got off to a winning start, beating uh, Celtic Dragons, 68-42. Fairly comfortable. There are also wins for Surrey Storm, uh, Seven Stars and London Pulse. Games, by the way, if you're ever interested in watching, are on Sky TV. Great athletes involved there, definitely. I mean, yeah, the the pace. I I was watching some of the games and the the pace they're played at is frenetic and and quite brutal as well. You know, quite a, a lot of physicality. I know you, you. We were talking about it with uh, your good lady, Lady Grundy, and she said that she got a nose broken. Was it twice? When in twice? The- right yeah, there. I mean, Sue's not. Uh, too tall, but some of these guys, some of these girls now are absolutely massive. You know, great athletes, but just different size specimens. I mean, uh, to but- put that into context, I played rugby for 19 years at various uh, levels and, um, you know, for various teams. I only ever managed to break my nose once playing rugby. Um, managed to break it twice on nights out after rugby, but uh, <laughs> only once actually on the field. So, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a much more physical game than I imagined, and uh, yeah, absolutely a great watch as you say. If people are wanting to watch that, I'd, I'd recommend it heartily. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, golf, we've not mentioned for a while. Uh, the Phoenix Open in Scottsdale, Arizona, saw Scotty Schaefer retain his title in that event to go to world number one ahead of Rory McIlroy, who's been there since October. Second place in the tournament was John, uh, John Rahm. Um, I watched some of the closing stages. It really is a magnificent course, that. It finishes in a stadium. You know, two of the last holes are in a stadium. Mm. You know, so you, you've got everything as you would normally expect, and then you go in the stadium. I think it's for the last two holes, definitely the last one. So that's quite dramatic. Everybody piles in there. But uh, that, that was worth watching. And something else... Um, skateboarding it may have escaped your notice that skateboarding uh, has become an olympic sport uh, in the 2020 event and at that event and we do like to promote first a highly talented gb contestant sky brown became the youngest contestant to win a medal that was a bronze interestingly this weekend sky achieved a gold medal in a park skateboarding the two categories are park skateboarding and street skateboarding, apparently. Two separate things. And that let me guess, held... let me guess. Park skateboarding takes place in a park and street skateboarding takes place on a street. Now, you're only guessing. <laughs> <laughs> the World Championships, this was uh, skateboarding at the World Championships uh, in United Arab Emirates. Sky Brown is clearly one to watch ahead of the 2024 Paris Olympics. You might be seeing it while you're there. That <laughs> would be good. Uh, last one I've got is athletics. Our athletes, Laura Muir, Josh Kerr and Neil Gourlay, all did really well at the 115th Milrose Games, which is held in New York. 
Laura Muir with a blistering finish in the ladies, and that's the Wanamaker Mile, clocked 4.20 to win. Josh Kerr in the 3,000 metres recorded 7.33, ahead of Guatemalan and American competition. In the men's Wanamaker Mile, Neil Gourlay was second in 3.49. Significance for Neil Gourlay was that's a personal best for him. Well done. Okay, that's me on the sports list. We have quite a few in there. You need to add? Yeah, cricket. Um, we've got of a lot in the cricket world at the moment. Uh, the England women made it uh, two out of two in Group B on Monday in the T20 World Cup with a win over Ireland. Um, and that followed on from their win over the West Indies on Saturday. Uh, Nat Siver Brunt demonstrated why she's been signed as the joint highest priced overseas player in the new women's IPL. Uh, Indian Premier League um, auction that took place yesterday. So she went for £320,000. Sophie Eccleston, the spin bowler, picked up two wickets in two balls to justify the £180,000 price tag that the UP Warriors have paid for her. So out of England's team, seven of that team yesterday were picked up for the women's IPL in the auctions. So a bit of a weird day. They're all playing on the pitch. And all this was going on in the background behind them. And as they were they were coming off, they were finding out who'd been bought and who hadn't and what sort of prices they'd gone for. But yeah, England, very dominant against Sri Lanka. Bold Ireland out very cheaply um, in the fir first innings, then looked to be on course for a very easy win. And then as English teams in all genders and all sports do, started to splutter slightly and then, you know, basically made it over the line like a... Uh, Badly banged up larder, um, string and coughing, uh, but got there, made made it over the line, um, and two from two. In Group A, Sri Lanka backed up their shock win over the host South Africa on the opening day by beating Bangladesh. So they're now top of that group, whilst New Zealand now look like they're going to be struggling to make the semi-finals at all after defeats to both Australia and South Africa. You know, and it was New Zealand who um, you know, have been competing right at the top table with Australia, India and England over the last couple of years and really not looking at the races this year. Meanwhile, in the men's game, I think firstly, let's stay with the white ball format and former white ball captain Owen Morgan announced his retirement from all formats of the game uh, this week. He was absolutely instrumental in uh, role as captain in turning round England's fortunes in one day cricket from in 2015 World Cup failures to champions four years later in England and winning the World Cup in that dramatic finale against New Zealand um, completely changed the approach to the 50 over game. Got to remember that he won the T20 World Cup in 2010 when England won that in the West Indies. He was part of the team. He captained the 50-over World Cup winners and also captained England for a record 126 matches, as well as playing 16 times for the Test team. So he's now moving into TV commentary. Over the summer, you saw him start to do more of the commentary when his team in London weren't playing in the 100. So he's moving into now the uh, T20 and one-day cricket 
uh, commentary around all the different franchises. So I think he'll be a, a well sought after pundit because he's got a really tactical cross. <laughs> Great uh, career. So though. then Great the men's team. test side announced team for the day night first test in New Zealand that starts on Thursday in the in Mount Manganui. Um, they picked Broad, Anderson, and Robinson as their starting three strike bowlers with. Obviously, Ben Stokes is the fourth pacer, and then Jack Leach, Jack Leach is the spinner. But their preparation has been massively hampered by the impacts and effects in the weather of Cyclone Gabriel, which yeah. is New Zealand. They've declared a, a state of emergency across New Zealand. Mount Wanganui hasn't been too badly affected, and they reckon by the time the test match starts that the weather shouldn't be too much of a factor. But with this side being the way they are and the attacking approach, Ben Stokes has already come out and said, we'll look to do the unconventional if we need to find a way of forcing a result if the weather intervenes. So with this side, goodness knows what that means. In regular weather and in all conditions, they can win a game in three days. So who knows what they'll try and do if they're going to do the unconventional. Mm. That's quite a thought, the unconventional for that lot. Okay, exciting stuff. It's, uh, it's a fairly full list, as I said tonight. Mm. I think nine nine different sports at least. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if it is a first mention for skateboarding, but anyway, we've definitely given them a mention tonight, and that's that's nice. Sky Brown. I've got contacts next. Um, Mike Smith. I was expecting to hear from him about Scotland, actually, but I haven't. Uh, Mike Smith <laughs> responded to the line I attached to my as I call them, the elite group, when I sent out the podcast last week. And I said on that, Romania becomes the 37th country to join the null and void club. Mike responded by replying, and it is Romanian, Asta a Grosva, which I very quickly Googled to translate from Romanian, says, that's gross. And Mike, uh, does that mean gross number, 37? I'm I, not quite sure what you mean, mate. Um, perhaps you could enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have lost something in translation, literally. That... Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't know. But anyway, thanks, Mike. And yeah, fill in the details. Watch this space. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up next week. Um, Anne Callahan, your mum, on a totally different point, responded to me saying, uh, I when I said I was, I've been to the Burford Garden Centre with Sue, uh, uh, and said, uh, quoted the Harrods of the garden centres, and also said, by the way, an interest an interesting episode. Thanks, Mrs. Callum. Very nice. It gave yeah. me quite a laugh with your response, and we had had a good chuckle because you also, in response to that message, I, I she was here when you sent one back saying. Um, you know, and sometimes we take on a trip to Cotswold Wildlife Park. And that really made us laugh because my brother and I were in primary school in Oxfordshire. And every year our school did a trip to Cotswold Wildlife Park, where it got to the point where my dad, uh, in his very strong Glaswegian accent, uh, came up with the line the final year that my brother was there at primary school uh, along the line of, I've got shares in that place the number of times you two have been there <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't that keen 
but it is, that is a nice place and, and great when you can combine the two. Admittedly, when the days are a little bit longer and, and warmer, uh, we tend to combine the two. And France coming over from Australia in um, April, so maybe we might be able to combine the two then. Please tell me she's not coming all the way from that green and pleasant land just to go to Burford Garden Centre and Cotswold Wildlife Park. No, no, not entirely. <laughs> she's got, I tell you what, she's got a pretty detailed itinerary already. There's not many gaps in it. <laughs> Plus all, all her friends want to see her, of course, as well. Mm. Uh, I, I got Doddy Aid because uh, it was the end of a six-week campaign. That's the conclusion, isn't it? Yeah. Yep, and the the the, the scores are in. <laughs> Go on then. So, um, your finale and final total, Tony, was two hundred and fifty-four miles point five four. Two hundred and fifty-five point five four. Two hundred and fifty-four point five. Yeah. Well, you were you were beaten. In the end, it was looking close between you and Lee when he was on last week. But I think Lee's gone out and clocked up some big miles on the bike this weekend, as a as an Ironman and long distance cyclist uh, can do. He came in top of our pops with three hundred and fourteen point six eight miles. So a fantastic effort by Lee and a cracking effort by you as well, mate. I think for the both of you to clock over clock over. 560 miles between the two of you is a humongous not bad is it well done lee mate that's that's a great a great uh amount you've done there brilliant i, I did my usual of lastminute.com on sunday evening i was sat there after the england game having a cup of coffee and i'd set myself the challenge of doing 150 kilometers over the six weeks well i was sat there looking at the thing and it's in miles on the uh Doddy aid system. I calculated that back, and it was showing me about six kilometers short. So I was like, "I'm not having that." So as it got dark on Sunday evening, I was pulling on the trainers and going out for another six k's to make sure. Well, seven k's, in fact, to make sure I got over my total. So I I came in in third place with ninety six point nine six miles. Uh, Billy Carr in fourth place with eighty one point five four miles, and then Mike Smith bringing up our top five with a fantastic 60 miles. So well done to all of that team. And there's some brilliant miles clocked there for Doddy Aid. And overall, the challengers raised over £2 million for the New York. Because initially they were looking for a million, weren't they? Which is fantastic. I think there's 1.4, million being raised by everyone taking part in this. And another half a million raised by the cycling Doddy Aid 555 team that turned up at Murrayfield on Saturday. So absolutely brilliant um, effort by everyone that took part from the Null and Void listener community and overall, you know, the I think it was over over um, 100,000 people took part in, in total across the challenge. Okay. Um, moving on to get a grip. The heading above the start of what I'm going to say says Gag Guardiola which I think is quite appropriate, really. Last week, I talked on the podcast about Manchester City facing 115 different allegations, stroke charges of financial mismanagement and also not cooperating with the Premier League over a four-year inquiry period. Fascinatingly, Manchester City's Pep 
Guardiola, and I always preface with him, I think he's a very good coach. What I'm about to say doesn't do much for my impression of, of him at all, because he came out fighting almost literally in a press conference about punch anything and everybody. When asked about the charges, people described his performance at the press conference as, as somebody ex extraordinary, almost as if he'd completely lost the plot. He attacked everybody. In fact, all of the 19 other Premier League teams he attacked because they're behind all of this. They're the ones getting at them. They're the ones. It, it was an 11-minute rant, apparently, somebody timed it. They have already found us guilty, he said. They haven't. Last time, in 2020, he said, we were proven totally innocent. They went. One journalist described it as a mixture of Ferguson and Mourinho combined in the whole world is against us type speeches, which we know they've done in the past. I can understand how City fans and players will be roused by his words. Pep, interestingly, has pledged his loyalty to City. And yet, in 2020, when that was first announced that they might uh, face expulsion from Europe, he said, if I was told incorrectly when I came here on the basis of I'm, I'm off, he said in 2020. At this press conference, he said, I'm going to be here throughout whatever. So it's absolutely all over the place. Oh, the, the, the lady is for turning then. Well, it, it's an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> the problem is there are 115 charges, if he hadn't noticed, to be answered. And it could take two years to come to a judgment. I hope it doesn't, for everybody's sake, to be honest. That's a long time to keep that kind of oratory um, going. Guardiola uh, quoted Julius Caesar. Incorrectly, actually. He never actually said this, but it, it, his quote was, in the world, there are not enemies or friends, just interests. And uh, so he quoted uh, Julius Caesar saying that. Apparently, everybody searched and nobody can find him ever saying that. There was a foreign minister, Lord Palmerston, who said something similar. But anyway, he then even added, for good measure, that in his rant, and it was one, that Stephen Gerrard of Liverpool, slipping in that game against Chelsea, which cost them a goal, City went on to win the title, he said, was not their fault, as if he's being accused of that, which was a very weird thing. Apparently has apologised subsequently to Stephen Gerrard, an absolutely crazy thing to be saying. It all reminds me of the words from a kiddie song, nobody likes me, Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms, which my mum would tease me with when I was angry with everything and everybody. So, Pep, you don't need to eat worms, but for goodness sake, get a grip. Or, as Shakespeare once wrote in Hamlet, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. You're no lady, Pep, but do get a grip. Totally agree. And I, I mean, if City are found guilty, as we say, it's not just a one administrative error that someone forgot to file a docket. And I know that with the um, Abu Dhabi money in there, you know, even 
a few million is like, you know, found down the back of the sofa. But if City are found guilty on the 115 charges, maybe then a quote from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar does come into play that all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. And I think that could be a good way of seeing the punishment that could be meted out to City. Shallows and the miseries. Yeah, seeing he's handing out quotes, that's a good one. Okay, I think there'll be more on that somehow, but um, I feel better for having said it. Okay. And I mean, Um, as a Man United fan, I I can imagine you're sat there the minute that City start having a pop at Liverpool and uh, start having a pop at City. That's you sat there going, break out the popcorn and let's watch. Keep keep it going, boys. I love it. I love it. (laughs) All you want is Jurgen Klopp getting involved. Anyway, um, that brings us to the close of this episode. And no, we didn't have a guest, but my goodness, the amount of material tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly did. And we look forward to you being with us at a a place and a time that suits you next week. Look out for the contact details at the end of the podcast. We always say that. And we do appreciate the contact you make with us. So look forward to being with you next week again. See you later. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 